Hot mic. <laughs> ah. Well, good morning, church family and friends. And uh, this morning we come to our our final week of Advent. We've looked at the advent of hope and joy and peace, and today we come to the advent of love. You know, as believers, we're commanded to love God and to love others. This is the great commandment. But do we understand what that actually means? Do we actually understand what it looks like or what it means to love God and love others? Do we know what it looks like? Do we understand what Scripture actually reveals to us in that sense. Well, I'd like to share some findings uh, that I found this week in preparation uh, for the message this morning that are a little concerning to me. Uh, these, these results come from an article that I found on ChristianPost.com. The title of the article says, Most American Christians don't know their purpose in life is to love and serve God. Now, the the study was done by uh, the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University, uh, and they surveyed 4,000 Americans. And in this survey, they found, maybe, there we go, survey of 4,000 Americans. Now, obviously, 4,000 compared to the population of America is quite a small sample size, so take these with a grain of salt. But in their findings, they found that 86% of Americans believe that there is a universal shared purpose that human life possesses. So 86% of Americans would agree with the fact that there is some universal shared purpose that we all have just by being human beings. That's pretty good. 66 percent of those polled believe that they have a unique God-given calling or purpose. Still pretty good. It's pretty strong. However, only 18 percent believe that the universal purpose is knowing, loving, and serving God. Only 18 percent. And then when they take just the 71% of Americans who consider themselves Christian, it's still less than 20% that believe this. And I found this, I go, how can that be? How can 71% of Americans who consider themselves Christian, how can less than 20% understand we're to love God? It's the great commandment, to love God and to love others. The study showed some other, I don't have these statistics up there, but the study shows that Americans differ significantly as to how they define their life's purpose. The largest group, which was 23% of those polled, claim experiencing happiness and fulfillment is the reason for living. Does that come to a surprise? How can this be when we clearly have command from scripture, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, when Jesus was answering the Pharisee, and which is recorded here in Matthew in the New Testament, he was actually quoting Old Testament scripture. 
specifically Deuteronomy 6, 5, where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Leviticus 19, 18, that says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. These, these two scriptures, Jesus, when he was answering the Pharisee, what was the greatest commandment, used these two scriptures that, that had been revealed to the Israelites, God's people, long ago. Basically said, it hasn't changed. <laughs> this has been the commandment, to love God and to love others. The question then becomes, well, what is love? What does it mean to love God and to love others? I can say things like, I love my wife. Or, I love your hair. It's really beautiful this morning. I love it. I love pizza, which I'm going to have for lunch today. I love my kids. I love your car. Right? I might want your car. Right? we, We use love for everything. We even talk about loving our sports teams like Manchester City. <laughs> I knew I'd get a look from the back corner. Uh, yeah, in the, in the back booth. For those of you who don't know, Manchester City is a rival to Bournewell's favorite soccer team, Manchester United. <laughs> so I put that in there just to get a rise out of him um, because, I love, because I love Bournewell. <laughs> But we can say I love fill in the blank all of the time. And when we do this, we we primarily talk about love as a feeling we have for a person, a place, or a thing. Uh, We talk about love based on how those persons, places, and things make us feel. In other words, our concept of love is totally subjective feeling we have from our experiences with the world around us. Not only that, we determine if we will love based on how those things make us feel. The Bible reveals to us that that kind of love is not actually what Scripture is talking about. Love isn't about what happens to us. Rather, love is what we do for others. It's an action this morning, I, as we're going to be spending time in the Word this morning, I, I realized as I was praying about, okay, Lord, this week is on love. Where do I preach from? Because if you understand that the entire revealed Word of God, this entire Bible, is God's love letter to you, where do you go? You can't cover the entire Bible in one, me- in one message. We might be here for a year. Or longer, and you all have lunch plans. So where do you where do you go to talk about love? Right? We we often think about the New Testament as the the place where God's love is revealed in the New Testament because we have Jesus. But we have to understand that all the way back in Genesis, God reveals his love to us. All the way through Revelation. The whole Bible, his whole entire revealed word is his love letter to us because he's making himself known to us. He doesn't ask us to ascend to him. He, he came to us and he made his word known. 
So as I spent time with that this week, I was led to 1 John 4, which is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John 4. If you don't have your own Bible, there are some in the chairs scattered around the room. We'll be in 1 John 4. And while you're opening your Bibles, let me just pray for our time together in the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a joy it is to hear the flipping of pages as we seek you in your word. Lord, I pray that this morning as we seek to know you and to seek to experience you through the the revelation of your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak. Lord, that you would use this time, whatever it might look like, to honor you and to make yourself known to all who are here, Lord, and who all will hear this later. Lord, we know that wherever your word goes, it does not return void. And so, Lord, we trust you in this time. Lord, as was prayed for me earlier uh, by our brother, I I do submit to you, Lord. If there's anything I've prepared that you don't want to use, Lord, you're Lord. I'm not. I'm simply your servant. So, Lord, would you speak in this time? Give us ears to hear you, to see you in your word to know you in our being. But beyond that, Lord, would you transform us to who you want us to be. Lord, this is your time, not mine. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to read through verses 7 to 21. And if you have your own personal Bible and you want to do this, I want you to note or underline every time you hear the word love. I'll be reading out of my English Standard Version, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. So if you were underlying, uh, underlining in there, in this section, you will see the word love, it, well, at least in the English Standard Version, the, word, the English word love appears 26 times. And the word beloved, two times. But what the writers and hearers in the first century understood as love is drastically different than what we do today. It wasn't talking about feelings or, or what their experience was. So what are they talking about? And, and, and why would John, in this section of Scripture that is 14 verses, have the word love 26 times? And if you include beloved, 28 times. It's almost 30 times in the Scriptures. Well, we have to understand that in Greek, there are three love words. In Hebrew, there are many, but we're only going to focus on one. And on the back of your bulletin, you'll see these words written out, and I want you to write these definitions down so that you understand and so that you can uh, move forward with this understanding. So in Greek, there were, there's technically four words for love, but scripture only uses three of them. Uh, the first one we'll talk about is phileo, which is brotherly love and affection. We get uh, the, the city Philadelphia is named the city of brotherly love because of phileo, right? It's the love that a brother has for another. Now, now, if you're like me, I had a younger brother, and we fought a lot, but I still love my brother, right? So that doesn't mean you can't argue and disagree and things, but it's that, that brotherly love, that bond that you have. The next word is storge, which is family love or natural love. Think of like a father loves his son or father loves his children. That is a natural love that, that those children don't have to do anything for you to love them. You just naturally love them that way. In Scripture, this, is actually, this word storge is actually only ever used once, and it's in a um, combination with phileo. So it's phileo storge, so, uh, and it's in Romans 12. Uh, where it's this brotherly family love all wrapped up in one. Talking about the family of Christ, the body of Christ, where to, to have this brotherly and fam familiar love with one another. The word that we're primarily going to focus on today is the last one, which is agape love, which is unconditional, undeserving, sacrificial love for one another. It's, it's the choosing of another at your own cost, at your own being. In fact, uh, when the New Testament was being written by, in the first century, the Greeks actually would use agape specifically for like devotion towards deities. So the love, uh, the devotion towards a deity. The New Testament writers kind of took this agape understanding and ran with it and, and kind of almost, if you will, redefined it a little bit with this unconditional undeserving, sacrificial love, devotional love for another person. It still has that devotional mindset to it. Um, but the big part of it is that it's undeserving. It's not, you haven't done anything to receive that kind of unconditional love. And the last word here is achava, which is Hebrew. Um, and, and 
in the Bible, the, there's a couple different words for love in Hebrew, but the one we're focusing on here specifically is ahava, which is love in general sense, uh, specifically human to human, uh, like a husband to a wife, a brother to a brother, familiar love. Um, uh, but it's also specifically about God's unconditional love for his people, which sounds very similar to agape love. You might say, okay, pastor, so I'll give you, I'll give you some time to write all these down. I see some, some pens writing, thank you. These are important because none of these reveal anything to do with feelings. None of these definitions have anything to do with your feelings. The reason that HAV is underlined in Ahava is because Ahava is used 45 times in the Old Testament, and in Hebrew, the root of the word Ahava is Hav, H-A-V. Why is this important? Because H-A-V in Hebrew means to give. And again, getting back to understanding Hebrew, everything came back to a root and was built off of that root. And so Ahava means to love is to give. It's action-oriented. It's not what I receive, it's what I do for another person. That's ahava. That unconditional, sacrificial love I give away. So the Hebrews would have understood ahava as to love is to give. We see this word ahava used in Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to him from far away I have ahava, you, with an everlasting love, an everlasting ahava. Both of those times is ahava. So not only is it the, that unconditional uh, give it to love is to give, we see the Lord using it here is saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It before, everlasting means it never ends. It's before time and to the end, you know, it never ends. It was always existed. And he says, I have ahavad you. I have chosen to love you for all time. Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8, it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord sent his ahava on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord ahavaz you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. This word ahava carries the notion that of the choosing. God chose you, undeservedly so. This, this verse here shows us that we weren't deserving. It says you, it wasn't because you were more in number. You weren't significant. God chose to love you and how he chooses to love us. It's also the same word that is used in the great commandment. You shall ahava the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay, we read this earlier. You shall love the Lord. You shall ahava the Lord. Same one in Leviticus 19:18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall ahava your neighbor as yourself. 
now that we have some definitions and some understandings, well, let me back up just a second. So, so we see in the Hebrew for, for the great commandment, you shall ahava the Lord and you shall ahava others. When Jesus is recorded, it's in Greek and it's agape. You shall agape the Lord God and you shall agape others. There's the connection there. Now that we have definitions, let's look back at our text in 1 John 4 again. And let's see what John is revealing to us, what God is revealing through John to us about love. It starts off in verse 7, seven saying, Beloved, which actually is a form of agape. So there's starts out agape, those, those who have been agaped, beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So right away, John comes out saying, we are to agape one another. We're to unconditionally, self-sacrificially choose another before myself. That's what he means by love one another. And he continues and he says, agape is from God and whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. That means that in order to love in an agape way, we must be born again. It doesn't, it, it's not within us to do this without God because it is from God, that kind of love, that self-sacrificial love. Anyone who has children knows that this is not naturally wired in us. Especially young children. It has to be developed and taught, right? Like children, they are oh, mine, 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 right? Like we're hardwired to not love this way. It's not natural, in other words, because it's from God, this kind of love continues in verse 8, and he says, anyone who does not agape does not know God. Uh, that's a harsh statement. He says, God is agape, which means that God's very essence is unconditional, sacrificial love where he is choosing others. Think about how powerful that is. It's his very being to choose you, to sacrifice for you, to love you in that way. And it's unconditional, which means it doesn't mean it, you don't bring anything to the table. He's already decided because that's who he is. Verse 9, he continues, he says, God made his agape manifest to us by sending his only son, Jesus, to the world so that we might live through him. Do you see, I underlined the word sending because remember, in ahava means to give. When, G when God sent his son, he gave his son to us. That's an action of love. John 3.16 says, God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That was read earlier. Look how similarly these are written. 
1 John 4, 9 says, God made his agape manifest to us by sending his only son to the world so that we might live through him. John 3, 16, everybody knows that one. God so agape the, lo- uh, the world that he gave his only son. It's almost the same thing. But hopefully you're connecting this giving mentality. It, it's not that God had such great feelings for us that he did this. It's in his nature to choose us. The word manifest in that verse means to make, to be, make visible or known what was hidden. So in this verse, I'll just back up real quick. In verse 9, it says that God made his agape manifest to us. That means that he made his love visible or known to us. It was previously hidden. How did he make it known to us? It says by sending his son, Jesus, to the world so that we might live through him. God made his agape, unconditional, self-sacrificial, choosing love for you known through his son, Jesus. And the word sent in there is the, uh, Greek, uh, the Greek word apostello, which we get apostle from, and it means to order one to go to a place appointed, to send So God made his agape known by appointing Jesus to come to earth on our behalf. Verse 10, we did not agape God. Makes it very clear here. We did not unconditionally love God. We just got through judges. It's not in us to unconditionally love God (laughs) and mankind on our own. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't have the power to agape God this way. And even though we did not agape God, God agaped us by sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Word of propitiation there is a fancy term that means to appease or to satisfy. So Jesus satisfies the wrath of God against our sin. When Jesus became the propitiation for you and for me, he stood in to satisfy God's wrath on the cross for your sin and for mine. That's what propitiation means. And in verse 10, John says, We didn't love God this way. We didn't unconditionally love him but he unconditionally loved us by sending his son to die on a cross as an appeasement for his wrath towards sin. That's agape love. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. In verse 11, he says, If God so agapes us, we ought to agape one another. If we agape one another, God abides in us, and his agape is perfected in us. If God agapes us, if he so loves us this way, that he was willing to send his son to die for you, we ought to live this way too. We ought to be willing to make sacrifices and choose others first. 
And if we agape one another this way, if we live in a way where we're choosing others first, God abides in us, and so does his agape love. Verse 16, we'll skip a few, we'll come back, don't worry. In verse 16, he, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the agape that God has for us. God is agape. Whoever abides in agape abides in God, and God abides in him. We keep hearing this abide word. It means to remain. Specifically, it says, in reference to a state or condition, it means to remain as one, to not become another or different. So when we agape, we remain in God, we, we, become, we, we stay connected with God, we remain as one, we're not becoming another or different. Think about that. Back up. That's what it means when it says that we have come to know and believe the agape God has for us. God is agape. Whoever remains in God, whoever stays connected, whoever stays, remains with him and agape remains in God. And God remains in him. Now we skipped a few verses, 13 to 15. We'll back up here a little bit. And we see in verses 13 to 15, he kind of takes a break from all of this love talk, which my youngest son would be like, thank goodness. Yeah, Julian's not a big uh, TV show person with the whole kissing and, and loving. He's like, oh, oh, you know. He takes a break from all this love talk. And John says, by this we know that we remain in him, that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. So in these verses, we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the evidence of our remaining, our abiding in God and God in us. It also says that who can, whoever confesses that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world abides in him, remains in him. Don't miss the Trinity here. The Spirit, the Father, and the Son 13 through 15. The Holy Spirit is the evidence of our staying connected, staying faithful, staying in tune with the Father. Now, does this mean we can lose the Holy Spirit? No, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We can grieve and we can quench the Holy Spirit which means we disconnect a little bit. He still, he still remains in us, but we've taken charge back. We've taken control back, and so we're not listening to him anymore. It's not like he disappears. But John's making a point here that those filled with the Holy Spirit is the evidence of those who are remaining under God's control and not being in control themselves which we all have the tendency to do. 1 John 4, 17, he continues, he says, by this abiding, by this remaining connected with, agape is perfected with us. 
Verse 18, there is no fear in agape. Perfect love, perfect agape casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and those who fear have not been perfected in agape. Now, the word for fear here is the word phobos, where we get phobia, like arachnophobia, right? Or what, are, you know, afraid of the dark and all of those things. It's, it's literally dread or terror. Those who have arachnophobia, even the little tiniest of spiders can make a, you know, like they're running the other way. That's dread and terror. That's what he's talking about. There's none of that in agape. There's not dread or terror, that kind of fear. Think of it this way. If agape is the unconditional, selfless act I give toward another, there can't be any dread of that. I can't be going, as I'm trying to love another person. There's no place for it. It doesn't compute. It doesn't work. You can't sacrificially, unconditionally love someone if there's dread. I really, really need to sacrificially love my daughter Hannah right now, but boy, she's driving me crazy, right? Like, you can't do that. That's not unconditional, right? You can't have dread while trying to agape others. Verse 19, he continues, and he says, We agape because he first agaped us. It's not because of any other reason than he first chose us. What a powerful, I mean, right, just that verse alone. We can love this way because he first loved us this way. And if you think about how undeserving you are and I am for that kind of love, it opens your eyes to going, I can only love this way because he loved me this way. He continues on and he basically says, we lie if we say we agape God and hate our brother. We lie if we say we love God, but have hate towards our brothers, our neighbors, those around us. He says, if we cannot sacrificially, unconditionally choose our brother who we've seen, we cannot love God that way, who we have not seen. And he wraps up in verse 21. This commandment we have from him. Whoever agapes God must also agape his brother. Notice in these verses, these 28 times that the word agape is used for love, none of it has anything to do with how you feel. It's action. It's choice. It's sacrificial choosing of another above yourself. So if we are to agape God and to agape others, what does that practically look like? What does that actually mean? If it's not about my feelings and it's not about my words that I say uh, that I love God, uh, like I can say I love my wife, like if it's not that, what is it? Well, 
We love God. We agape God by giving to him. What do we give? We give devotion, prayer, service, worship, praise, trust, finances, time, study of his word, on and on. It means that we are sacrificially choosing to put God first above all other things. That's what it means to love God. It means obeying what his word says and, 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 and doing what it says. Not to just agree with it, but to do it, to live it out. That's what it means to love God. And it's a sacrifice because if you're like me, it don't come natural to do that. All right? I had a, a mentor once that, that said, anytime you write the word sin, make the I a big capital I. Because... Sin's all about I, (laughs) me, myself, and I. But if we're to agape God the way we're commanded to, we have to realize it is a sacrificial choice to choose God first. And we choose him by spending time with him, by spending time with his family, the church, other believers, by praying. And that's not just talking to him, but listening to him as well, by serving him in church and outside in the community, by being on the Great Commission, uh, to worship him, to praise him, to trust him. All of these ways are ways we show our love for God. And... The second part of that great commandment is to love others. We love others by serving them. We, we love them by helping them financially in a time of need, spending time with them, building relationships with them, sharing truth with them, discipling them, uh, on and on. It's a sacrificial choice of putting them before myself. Notice that the great commandment says to love God, love others, which means I'm last. Because if I'm to agape God and others, I'm I'm the low man on the totem pole. I don't get to love me. I love others and God. And it is a sacrifice. And that's how you know it's agape. And my friends, if that's what it means to love God and to love others, we have to go back to the reality that we can only do that because he first loved us, because he did those things for us. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll transition. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth revealed in your word about how you first loved us. You didn't require us to come with, you, with anything. We were broken. We were, we were rebels. We were degenerates. We, we fill in the blank. We, we might even have hated you, and yet you loved us. You chose us unconditionally in spite of all of those things by sending your son Jesus to come to be born, which we celebrate tomorrow, but not to just be born, to to live a life in service and devotion to you, to to live a perfect life, to, to serve you, to honor you, to die ultimately on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin, being that propitiation, that satisfactory requirement for all who would believe 
And not only that, he rose again victorious over death because death could not hold him. Because death had no claim on him. And knowing all of that, Lord, you knew how to love us. In that, in that sacrifice, you showed agape to us. Lord, and as your word revealed this morning, we are to return the favor. We are to agape you in that way and to our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our friends and our family. We are to love in that way. But Lord, we also know we can't do it in our own. We, we need you. So Lord, I pray that all who are here, Lord, who are struggling with that truth and that reality, Lord, that you would just refresh them that you would speak to them and that you would make known to them yourself. Lord, I pray that even now, if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you that way, but desires to, Lord, that they would even now just say, here I am, Jesus, I'm yours. I can't comprehend that kind of love, but I want it. And Lord, I'm ready to surrender to you. Lord, I pray that uh, for anyone here, Lord, that wanted to respond in that way, Lord, you would just meet them in a powerful way this morning. Lord, we know we need you. And Lord, you call your church to love you and to love others and to make your light known to make disciples of all nations. So Lord, help us to be obedient to both the commandment and the commission you've set before us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.